I know I could have just come up here right after praying, but I know you guys really wanted to see that sermon bump one more time because it's, you know, powerful, it's impactful in your life, and you're like sitting on the edge of your seat. I cannot wait for the sermon bump. Um, the best part of the message. Um, well, we've come to the end of, of Job, significance of suffering. And uh, Job's been going through not only physical suffering, but emotional suffering, maybe some spiritual suffering, certainly uh, suffering with, you know, with friends like that who need enemies, you know, as they're talking with him and they're debating back and forth as to why it is that Job might be suffering. And that's his big question. He wants to have this conversation with God, and he wants to know why is it that he's suffering. Well, today we're going to find out that the question is not why, but the question is who. And that's when we get to the end here, we'll kind of see that's the whole point. Whether we're going through suffering, physical suffering, or that type of thing, or whether we're just not understanding who God is and what God is doing, our tendency is to want to know why, but we're going to find out that that's not the question. So in the end, Job gets um, his request. He's been asking for an audience with God. He wants to have a sit-down. He wants to have schedule an appointment and have a, a meeting with God because he's got some things he wants to ask God, primarily why. And so he gets the request that he's asked for, but it's not going to be on his terms. It's going to be on God's terms. And it's going to be God who's going to be asking the questions. So go ahead and turn to Job chapter 38. It's uh, 547 if you're using the Bible there in the seats. And uh, just an FYI, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Settle down. I know some of you guys are like, what? The New, uh, New Living Translation? Um, yes, I am. So there. Uh, and mainly because, again, this is poetry. And we normally use the New American Standard for those who, uh, who care. Uh, we use the New American Standard, and sometimes it gets kind of muddy and kind of like, man, I'm not really sure what he's saying here. So the New Living Translation gives us a little bit more of a, maybe a better understanding of what's uh, going on. And if you've been reading in Job, and I hope you have been, and those who have, and I know I've heard from some of you that this has been very helpful to actually read, <laughs> read the book that we're studying, uh, which I know it sounds kind of novel, right? But uh, we're reading the book, and as you do that, you know that Prior to verse or chapter 38, there's this guy named Elihu or Elihu, however you want to pronounce his name. And they would have thought Harold was a weird name back then, so let's not make fun of the guy's name. But he, he speaks for six chapters. And we, we, don't, we weren't um, introduced to this guy at the beginning when the, you know, three, kids, uh, three friends showed up. We weren't introduced to Elihu. He just shows up. So we assume... And from what he says, he's much younger than these guys, and so there's probably this thing with you know the adults in the room, and he's the kid in the room, and so he's, I'm not going to say much here. But he finally gets to the point where he can't stand it any longer. Now he's angry. And he's going to give these guys, these old guys who supposedly have a lot of wisdom, because he's angry at Job, and he's angry at the three friends. And so as a young guy, he's going to bring his wisdom. Actually, he says it's wisdom from God. But it's not, and we know that because he goes back to this retribution theology that we've been talking about. And if you're like, what's that? I'm not going to take time to explain it. We've been explaining it for the last four weeks. You can go study it up. But he basically comes back to the reason why Job is suffering, 
is because Job has some sin in his life. Now, just a reminder and an encouragement. When somebody comes to you and they say, hey, listen, I've got a word from God, or let me just give you some wisdom that I know is from God, we better know our Bibles well enough that we know whether that's wisdom from God or not. These guys, including Elihu, they said they brought wisdom from God, but they didn't, and it really kind of messed things up. So God does use Elihu, and He uses him to kind of transition now to His, um, his presence, Him showing up in chapter 38. And what's happening is, Elihu, towards the end of his uh, monologue, where he's waxing eloquent, he's looking on the, the horizon, and he sees a storm brewing on the horizon. And he's saying, look at that, look at that storm out there. Look, that's the power of God at work. I mean, look at the, the thunder and the lightning and the rain that comes from that. That's, that's God. He's awesome. That's what He does. Who are you, Job? What they don't realize, or realize until Job shows up, or God shows up in, in 38, is that that was God. That's the presence of God showing up. He's, he's moving across the horizon as this storm cloud. And it's actually a common description of God's presence in the Old Testament. Moses and Israel saw this numerous times. Isaiah and Isaiah 6 talks about the thundering voice of God on the throne that he saw. John, in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, uh, he sees the throne of God and he sees what is, what is described here, just dark clouds and thunder and lightning and just some awesomeness going on. And so... God shows up, and we're going to read all four chapters this morning. So, buckle in. Okay, two of you th realize that I'm just joking. Uh, I'm going to pull out some specific passages. We're not going to go all four chapters, just in case. Uh, the 9 o'clock service, I thought that was funny than you guys did. But anyways, so the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. So he's in this massive storm cloud. His friends are hanging out there too as well. He says, now this is God speaking, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. The New American Standard says, gird your loins. Man up! Quit your whimpering and your crying. and Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? So, I don't know if you can think this is cool, but I do. So, God doesn't answer Job's question of why. What does He do? He goes back to creation. Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the, the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea in, inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I closed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? and cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made the daylight spread to the ends of the earth to 
to bring an end to night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does the light come from? And where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. If you're ever wondering if God's a little sarcastic, um, I would have to say yes, He's pretty sarcastic. God shows up and is basically saying, okay, Job, tell me, how did all this that you see come into being? How did you come into being? How, do you know how I operate? Do you know how I created things? Do you know the systems that I put into place? In fact, in, in verse 33, he says this, Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Well, God's saying, I've created all of this. I put systems into, into play so that I can regulate the earth. It's all about protecting and providing for and caring for this earth that we live on. God goes on into chapter 38 and 39 and he, he challenges Job's knowledge about things like clouds, rain, feeding the lions and the ravens, caring for the wild goats, the deer, the donkeys, the oxen. Why the difference between ostriches and storks? Why are horses so powerful and fierce? Why do hawks and eagles soar and live so high but have eyes that can see the food that's on the ground. He's just throwing out some basic, you know, nature things. Job, do you understand? Do you get it? Do you know how I put this together? And so God finishes up and he says, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Can you answer any of these? And Job says, I'm nothing. And that word means to be insignificant or tiny. It's, in the Hebrew, it has this idea of it's the, the point of a pin. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have nothing said to my charity. I have nothing more to say. You, know, you ever feel that way sometimes? Where you're having talking to God, and then all of a sudden, like, actually, what am I saying? I was thinking about this word nothing and insignificant and praying about it and thinking, because it just kind of hit me. Job hears all this, and then he finally just says, man, I listen, yeah, I'm, I'm nothing. And there was a video that came to mind. Some of you may have seen this. Um, and so we're, we're going to watch it. It's, it's a little long, but I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, some of you guys might know Louis Giglio. But he talks about what if uh, the world or the earth was a golf ball. And so we want to 
Let him speak. I want to tell you about the second star, okay? Because the second star absolutely wrecked my life. I heard about it when I was a high school student here in Atlanta. One of our youth leaders did a talk, and he mentioned this star. I didn't know how to talk to God for about two months after I heard about this star. It's called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. You can pick your pronunciation. I'm obviously going with Betelgeuse, and Betelgeuse is incredible. Here it is in the night sky. I know it doesn't look incredibly ferocious, but it's 427 light years away. So that's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles away from us right now. Draw it in a little closer with the Hubble Space Telescope and you can start to get a little bit of the feeling of its intensity. But this is the crazy thing about Betelgeuse. Are you ready for this? Betelgeuse is twice the size. Are you ready? You think I'm going to say twice the size of the sun? Oh no, it's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun, Betelgeuse is. It's crazy. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Beetlejuice would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. Now, come on, have you seen the Empire State Building? <laughs> I mean, maybe what you're going to need to do is gather the family, get a golf ball, get some plane tickets, and fly up to New York. And you're going to go into Midtown, you're going to take your golf ball and put it on the sidewalk outside the Empire State Building. Don't worry about people thinking you're crazy. They're not even going to notice you in New York. You're going to go across the street. You're going to look up at the Empire State Building and imagine five more Empire State Buildings on top of the Empire State Building. That's Beetlejuice, and that's the earth, and somewhere you're on it. You could fit 262 trillion Earths inside Beetlejuice. So if the Earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill up the Superdome with golf balls 3,000 times. <laughs> when I heard that as a teenager, that stumped me right there. Because most of my praying had been advising God, correcting God, <laughs> suggesting things to God, drawing diagrams for God, <laughs> reviewing things with God, counseling God. The third star, let's just, can you go a little bit bigger with me? The third star is called Musifi. Here it is in the night sky. It's that gold star to the top left. We, we have the big image of it. It's 3,000 light years away, but I just want you to see it in the, in the span of all these little glittering stars so that you know that at times when you look up at night, it is not just twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I'm telling you what you are. What you are is intense and huge and massive and ferocious is what you are. And, and this one used to be called Herschel's Garnet Star. Check it out. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Musifi would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. Apparently, you're going to need to go from New York to the West Coast. Go to San Francisco with your family and your golf ball. Place your golf ball at the beginning of the Golden Gate Bridge. Go across the bay into Oakland to a high place where you can see the entire Golden Gate Bridge. Another second Golden, Break, Golden Gate Bridge will be in your imagination. Span all the way back the two Golden Gate Bridges to the very beginning and find your golf ball over there. That's the earth and somewhere you're on it. One of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside this one star. 
Thank you so much. Where have you been all night? Now, quadrillion we have not talked about, and I need to explain this just briefly because I don't know about you, but I do not understand the national debt or any numbers bigger than about $875.28. I get that number. Go bigger than that, I don't know. But you need to understand a quadrillion, okay, because this star is crazy big. A quadrillion, uh, let's do it this way. Everybody knows a million, right? How many of you know what a million is? You can kind of get your head around a million. Everybody? All right. You know that a billion's a thousand million, and a trillion is a thousand billion, and a quadrillion is a thousand trillion, right? Everybody knew that? Here's the perspective. This changed my life, right? A million seconds ago, 12 days ago. Isn't that cool? See, that saves you doing that on your little calculator at home, which I dare you to try to do when you get home tonight. But a billion seconds ago? You're thinking, oh my goodness, if it's 12 days ago, I'm going all the way back to like September with you, Louie. This must be crazy, right? How about May 1975 is a billion seconds ago. You're like, whoa, that's a little bit bigger than a million. Oh yeah. A trillion seconds ago, you're like, uh-huh, I'm on the 1800s. No. Christopher Columbus? No. 29,700 BC is a trillion seconds ago. A quadrillion seconds ago, 30,800,000 years ago is a quadrillion seconds ago. We're talking about a really large number, and Musifi is so big, you could put 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. But it is not even the biggest star we have found. I love science. And science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh wow, if the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Thank you. You just saved your family plane fare from California to Kathmandu, Nepal. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet, and I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a, a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. 
but Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter and you're like, okay, we're not all that big even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the earth. That's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by. Little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention. Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, W. Sifi. Majoris. And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun? You couldn't even do it. I mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. So Job says, I am nothing. I'm insignificant. We know a lot of what happened that God was talking about through science, but still when we know what science tells us about what God has created, we still stand before Him as nothing. Insignificant. Tiny. And Job realized that and he responds accordingly, but God's not finished yet. Job needed to know some more. The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind again. And he says again, brace yourself like a man. Man up. Because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like His? Alright, put on your glory and splendor, your honor, your majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. Humiliate the proud with a glance. Walk on the wicked where they stand. Again, these are all things that God can do. Bury them in the dust. Imprison them in the world of the dead. Then even I would praise you for your own strength would save you. Job, you think I'm you think I'm unjust? You think I'm unfair? Let's just talk first about my power. Are you as powerful as I am? And every time God's asking these questions, we can hear Job getting weaker and weaker saying, No, 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 you're right. Nope. Yeah, not me. Nope. You don't, you're not able to even deal with proud people. You can't 
send the wicked to hell? And then God goes on and he starts talking about this behemoth and Leviathan, which, you know, people love Job. Can we talk about the behemoth and Leviathan? Okay, let's talk about them real quick. What are these things? What are these creatures? Very quickly, it really doesn't mean a whole lot in the realm of things, but behemoth, Leviathan, they're, they're um, Hebrew words that are transliterated into English. Some people say, well, uh, they're prehistoric dinosaurs, which could be. You know, there were dinosaurs on earth. God created dinosaurs. We get that. A bunch of them were extinct. Some died in a flood. Um, and so, could have been that this is one of the you know, behemoth and Leviathan could have been some dinosaurs. The way they're described kind of makes it sound like they could be. Other people say, no, it's just a hippopotamus and uh, an alligator. Because again, if you look at what they're saying there, it sounds like a hippopotamus and an alligator. And people say, well, you know, are you a breathing dragon? How could it be an alligator? Well, you know, when you, it's poetic, you know, description. So it could be that the alligator blows the, the water out of its nostrils, gets in the sun, it looks like smoke and fire. You know, whatever, whatever the case, the point is this. In Job's day, these were the most fearful animals. They, they could not, with their spears and knives and pottery that they had, they, they couldn't um, control these animals. They couldn't domesticate these animals. They wouldn't, as, as God jokingly says, you, wouldn't take, you couldn't take the alligator home to be a pet for your girls. You know, it, they, they couldn't handle these things. And what he's saying is, Job, I created those two things, and I created you. You can't even control those things. You're not even powerful enough. I'm not even going to answer your question why, because you need to understand who you are in, re- in relationship to me. And here's Job's awesome, and really the only thing he could say. And the re- then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It's I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, I will speak. I have some questions for you. You must answer them. This, this sentence here just kind of knocked me over this week. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes. He was sitting in dust and ashes because of his boils, but now he's sitting in dust and ashes in his repentance, demonstrating the fact that he's repenting. He realizes that he is out of line, that he shouldn't be asking these questions, that he should be focusing in on who God is. And so with his repentance comes restoration. And God says this, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, and he's speaking to Eliphaz because he's the oldest of the three friends, and so he's kind of the representative, and so God's talking to him. He says, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Notice the descriptive word there. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. We talked about at the beginning of this, what a burnt offering meant back in the Old Testament prior to Christ coming and being our sacrifice. It says, my servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve. That's key as we 
move forward here. For you have not spoken accurately about me, he says again, as my servant Job has. Which is kind of a cool thing. We've heard what Job has had to say, right? Job's just been crying out to God. Job's been just asking questions of God. Job's been wondering why, which again is not necessarily the question, but he's asking it. and He's not the one that evidently God sees as doing wrong. So Eliphaz, a Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite, did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer on their behalf. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers and sisters and former friends who had rejected him, Job tells us, came and feasted with him in his home. It says something there. But anyways, and they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring, which basically is kind of what they do when they, it's not a housewarming gift, but they're celebrating and they want to celebrate so to give them those things. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. And some people say, well, you know, why not 14? <laughs> you know, total. Well, the, the idea is that, uh, one commentary said, is that his original kids are in heaven. So they're still alive because they're in heaven, they're with God. And so he just doubles them by having some on earth. Whatever. Uh, sounds good. He named his first daughter Jemima, the second because yeah, this is for you who are you know of the age of having children, or if you're a grandparent, you want to help your kids along with what you should name your kids. Here you go. Um, Jemima, second is Keziah, and the third is Karen Hebek. Um, Hebek. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years. And again, the idea there, some people are thinking that since everything was doubled, that maybe this happened when he was 70. And so he was able to live another 70 years, doubled it. Uh, living, he see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man who had lived a long and full life. Job was declared right with God. Declared right with God right in front of his friends. It was one of the things that Job had asked, that they would see that he was indeed right. Well, God declares him right. God let Job and his friends know that the friends were wrong in what they were saying. It wasn't godly wisdom, and it was inaccurate understanding. Job became a mediator between his friends and God, and God and his friends. Kind of an interesting and neat thing that God allowed him to do. And then God forgave them. Interesting, there's no mention of the boils, the physical issues that, he's, that he has. We obviously realize that they're gone. But it's almost as if you know, the suffering has been the big deal all the way up to this point. And then God shows up and there's no more reference of the suffering. Why? Because the awesome God showed up. Job... It was like Job had some comfort in his life because God showed up, the awesome God. Not only did he heal him, but then he restored him. Now, again, caution, as we've been cautioning all the way through this, this doesn't mean 
that if we successfully or faithfully go through suffering in this world, that God's going to double everything we have. You know, I'm not going to get, um, you know, another pickup truck or the 72 vet that I've, you know, wanted over, over, over the years. We're not going to get this physical stuff going on. It was just by God's grace and God's compassion and mercy that He does this. It doesn't mean that this is going to happen every time for us. But as I was thinking about this, and we were actually talking about it in a staff meeting, and I said, you know, it's, it's interesting if we, and again, you know, I'm just kind of throwing this out for consideration. I'm not saying this is thus saith the Lord. From the, I'm just saying, interesting thought here. But what if Job was just kind of a microcosm of our lives, our entire lives? Job realized who God was, um, saw God with his eyes. In other words, he, he now has this relationship, this personal relationship. It wasn't just living off of what he, he knew about him, but now he's seen him, he's talked to him, it's been personal. And because of that, he put his trust in him, and God restored him and gave him more than he certainly deserved, right? But what if, what if that is maybe a microcosm for what our entire lives are? And so we as, as believers who have placed our faith in Christ, we go through life and we suffer, because life is suffering, right? <laughs> it's, all, it's all we seem to face. That at the end, because of Christ, we get infinitely more than we've ever deserved. And so maybe Job, in that sense, could be a, an illustration of, of our lives. And in that sense, we do see God honoring the suffering that we face in our lives. Let me close out by giving you the point of Job. You're all sitting here breathlessly waiting on the edge of your seat. Okay, we've gone five weeks in this. We've talked about a lot of stuff. But what is the point? I do a, joke, I do a story called the Green Golf Ball story. Um, and I'll tell you one of these days. And at the end, everyone's like, come on, what's the point? Well, here's the point. When suffering, or when you just don't understand what God's doing, so maybe it's not some physical suffering, but you just don't understand what God's doing, don't seek for the why. Seek for the who, and not the band. Okay. <laughs> the guy told me in the first service, he shouldn't have said it, because then I started singing some of the songs, and I was starting to sing them. Seek for the who, because when you know the who, you'll understand the why. When suffering, don't seek for the why. Seek for the who. Because when you know the who, you'll understand the why. Here's the deal. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire Bible is all about God revealing Himself to us. It's the reason why He's given us everything that He's given us in the Bible and all the different ways that He's given it to us. I mean, we've got history, we've got uh, poetry like we just read here. We've got you know, really kind of strict type of poetry. We've got um, you know, doctrinal stuff. We've got a whole bunch of different genres of, of literature that's written in the Bible. Why? Because God wants us to know Him. Not just know about Him, but to know Him. So the who is God. When we're going through suffering, when we don't understand what's going on, the who is God. Why? Why are we going through it? There might be a whole bunch of different reasons why. We've talked about what some of those could be. But ultimately, so He can reveal Himself to, to you. And, and then that we might know Him, or you might know Him personally. Not just know about Him. He wants us to know Him. Remember what Job said. This is just an awesome statement. I'd only heard about you before. Job had been living life 
based off what other people had told him about God. And some of it was wrong, right? I mean, we've, we've gone through that. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. You are present with me. I'm hearing you speak to me. I'm hearing you talk to me. You're reminding me who you are. It gets personal. And so it's, it's not just the fact that we know him personally, but the other thing is, go ahead, go to the next one there, Sherry, thanks. He wants you to know he's sovereign. That means he's got everything under control. Everything's, he's got the systems laid out. He's got the plan in place. This isn't outside of his realm of control. He's got everything in control. He's got the, the universe under his control. He's got the earth under his control. He's got everything ordered and regulated for the earth. This entire universe is set up the way it is so that the earth can function and can do what it needs to do and that is sustain us and our life in order for us to know God. So he wants us to know that he's got everything in control and then he wants you and me to trust. To trust him. We don't understand. We do understand. Whatever the case, he just wants us to trust him. He's got it figured out. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's way beyond us. In comparison to the universe, we're nothing. But even more so in comparison to God, we are nothing. God is everything. I love how God works the Bible because when you're reading in the Old Testament, you can always go to the New Testament and find something that explains a little bit more what the Old Testament is talking about. James chapter 5 in the New Testament says this, Says so we count those blessed who endure. He just got done talking about the different people who have endured over the years for the sake of the gospel and for God. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. So here in James, we're getting a lesson on what Job's all about. It's for God to show that He is full of compassion. And, and out of that fullness of compassion comes His response of mercy. Not giving us what we deserve. Job did not deserve God showing up and explaining to him, but he did. Job's friends did not deserve God's forgiveness. They didn't deserve Job's forgiveness, but evidently both of them forgave those men. Job didn't deserve, just because he'd gone through this suffering, he didn't deserve to have everything doubled. But God did that because He is compassionate and He's merciful. Well, as Dave and the band come up, and as we close, we're going to sing a song based on Psalm 46 and, and the awesomeness of God. And, but as they come, as we normally do, we take some takeaways, right? So, the first one is this. Do you know God personally? Or do you just know about God? I know a lot of um, I know a lot of celebrities. Well, I know a lot about a lot of celebrities. I know a lot about President Trump, President Obama, President Bush, his dad, Reagan. I, I know a lot about a lot of famous people. I read on them, you know. I'm up on the internet. I see what's going on. Facebook tells me. 
But if you asked any one of them, hey, do you know the Harold Berjerga guy? They'll be like, Berger, what? Harold Berjerga, do you know him? No, I don't know who he is. But he knows a lot about you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know him. And I really don't know them either. I just know a lot of information about him. Job knew a lot about God. But then God showed up and said, hey, here's who I am. I'm awesome. I'm powerful. I've got it all under control, including whatever is going on in your life. And I just want you to know me personally. What we have today, because Job did some animal sacrifice, we talked about what that was all about, but we have now today, we have the fact that God the Son, God put on flesh and died our sacrifice for us on the cross. And if we just simply say, God, I realize I don't know you, and, I, and my sin keeps me from you, my misunderstanding of who you are has kept me from you, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, he says, listen, you now know me. I forgive you of your sins. And then God, you know, it's so cool. God just places Holy Spirit in us and He adopts us into His family and now we know God personally. Do you know Him? Have you had that conversation with God before? If you haven't, I just want to encourage you. It's just you and, and God having that conversation. Thank God, forgive me for my sins. and I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. I want to know you personally. And then we get into God's Word the Bible, we read, because that's what God's given us. The Holy Spirit gives us understanding. And now we have this personal interaction with God where we get to know who He is. He gives us purpose and understanding. The second thing, are you seeking God in your suffering? If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, are you seeking God in your suffering? Are you seeking God and not when you don't understand what's going on in your life? It's just taking time, as I've said, being in God's Word. Being reminded of who He is. Letting Him talk to you. You talking to Him. Having this conversation. And like Job, that suffering may not even disappear. It didn't initially for Job. But his mind was off to suffering. His mind was where it needed to be. And that is on God. And his heart was focused on God. And in that, he said, I know God. I've seen Him with my eyes. 